Welcome in to the House of L podcast. I am Lawrence Holmes here with you as per usual. Glad that you are hanging out. I'm back in the update studio doing the recording today. It's a little weird. I haven't been here in a while. Doesn't sound quite right, but hopefully it's not a problem for you. Episode 41, is that where we're at? I really didn't think that when we started the podcast back in June that we would have almost 50 episodes before the year is over. And that's what we're going to end up with, with all the bear stuff, end up being about 50 episodes. So thank you. I appreciate you sticking with me. It's very much appreciated. Love the support. Love people going back and listening to some of the older interviews. And it's weird because I didn't really do an interview last week because I talked about Tuscaloosa. Yes, Tony was there in, in there with me, but I wasn't interviewing Tony. We were just kind of talking. And I appreciate the people who listened. Uh, at some point, I'll, I'll talk. Uh, I'll talk more about why it is that I'm an Alabama fan. It's a little personal, but at some point, I'll share. I'm also thinking over the next couple of weeks, you'll hear. Um, I would say more intimate episodes of the podcast. I plan to have a couple of my students do an episode with me. I'm looking forward to talking with them. White Panther is going to have her own episode. I thought I would do the episodes together, but I feel like that that would limit it. So I think White Panther is going to have her own. So we'll see if if I can convince her with her busy schedule where she'll get the, the opportunity to kind of flip things over. I'll be the guest, but hopefully it'll be like Bill Burr and Nia. That's, that's the hope. Zip recruiter. That's what I'm going for, but we shall see. I've loved all the feedback on the Bears episodes, too. I appreciate that. Shout out to the Chicago Wolves, by the way, who have been sponsoring the entire season of Bears stuff. And uh, I really love the partnership. I'm going to go out to the Superhero Day on December 29th. And I'm going to give some House of L listeners some tickets to see it with me. So if you're interested, hit me up. House of L podcast at gmail.com. That's a good place to send comments, questions, requests for guests. House of L podcast at gmail.com. Today's guest is a guy that I probably should have had on the podcast earlier, but you know, you save your big guns for when you need them. Herb Lawrence is awesome. He is the executive producer of my show, but he's more than that. He, he's someone that I call a friend, one of my better friends. And, I mean, he's he's a big reason why White Panther and I got married. So even though we didn't – did we even technically have him in the wedding? I'm not sure we did. But he he's a good man and thorough. And I was really happy when he decided to come back to Chicago from San Diego and we had the executive producer spot open. And I remember in the interviews, like, it wasn't a slam dunk that Herbie was going to get the job. It wasn't. We had, I can just tell you from the people, I won't mention the people out of the house because that would be disrespectful, but from the people inside the house, you know, Shane Reardon had a really strong interview and so did Tony Gill. So it it wasn't a slam dunk that Herbie was going to get it, but he ended up being the best candidate and he's taking back over the show. But we spend a lot of time talking about the difficulty of producing that show on the score, meaning my show, because of 
all the things that he has to juggle. He's also the executive producer of Cubs baseball. He's executive producer of Bulls basketball. And the preemptions, it's hard for a producer to catch a rhythm in the show. Now, luckily, we already have one built up. But when it comes to scheduling guests, like there's a lot of stuff that makes things difficult for Herbie because we may have a show where I'm only on for a few minutes and the window isn't right for me to have a guest on live. So I may have to record a video, like a uh, video, uh, an interview. So he has to do all of that stuff to try and help make the show run. He's great at his job. I, w- I do wish that we had more shows that he could show you how great at his job he is. But I love this conversation. We spent a lot of time talking about radio. And with Herbie, you know, you can go off onto a tangent. And anyone who's who's ever been in a bar or living room or basement conversation with Herbie, I think will quickly relate because they've all been there. And if you haven't, then you'll get a sense of who Herb Lawrence is. We end up spending more time talking about politics than I expected we were going to. But that's good. I, I, I feel like that's one of the beauties of the podcast is that it allows me to stretch into different areas. And we've stretched into areas of parenthood and faith and a lot of other stuff. So why not stretch into some of the political stuff? I'm looking forward to you hearing this. I'm glad that you are checking it out. Stick around after the interview. I'll go through some of the the emails. It's been a while since I've actually looked at the emails, so there should be quite a bit. But we'll do that. But right now, here's, as Uncle Terry would say, the dear boy himself, Herb Lawrence. Well, I'm glad that we get the chance to do this. You've been a, a highly requested visitor to the House of L. There are a lot of people that wanted you to be on the podcast. Okay, I appreciate those people wanting me on there, and thank you for having me. Well, I don't want to do Ask Herb because, you know, we don't have time. Yes. Or phone calls on the podcast, but mm-hmm. but that's a fun segment. Did, did you even have fun doing that segment? Like, the best time of my radio life I had because people actually wanted to know my opinion, and I got to give it to them, and you gave me a platform to do it. So, yeah. I had a great time doing it. I just didn't want to do it after a while because I think it became repetitive and redundant. I didn't want to really uh, take up too many time of the show that we're doing. And like we have now, we don't have that many shows. So I want shows to be sports, not you know nonsense. Yeah, but the nonsense can be fun, too. Oh, I, yeah. I, I do think that people look forward to a little bit of the nonsense. Yeah, and I think we do that organically. You know, just it just comes out. You know, some of the references you bring up, and then I'll – you know, furrow my brow, and then Tony be like, what are you talking about? Or some other youngster be like, what are you talking about? And then we got to explain it and suss it out on the air. And I think that's much better than, I mean, I liked the structure of Ask Herb, you know, every Tuesday when it came on. And then after a while, it's like, it's getting redundant. Let's just, you know, if they need to ask me a question, they can ask me a question, or you can ask me a question on the air, and I'll give my answer unfiltered. And also, off the cuff, I think that was the better thing. Uh, some of those times I was on the station, I was like, oh, what should I answer to this question? What should I uh, anticipate another question is going to be? And then think about my answer. And it didn't come out correctly, I felt. Well, the imaging for it is so good, though. Did Tanny do do the Ask yes. Herb open? Yes, because he, uh, he knew I loved Jamiroquai. And then I think a couple times we did it, like, not officially. And he just took those answers and then... 
eventually he put in a couple of those answers. Like now I kind of cringe, but they're still right. Like the the gay one <laughs> and the Avis one, the the big girls in Avis, they're still right. But I cringe because I was young, and now I'm like looking back. It's like eh, the gay one kind of can come off wrong if you're not if you don't have the context of it. It's I think I said uh, I don't think gay is for me or something like that. I don't yes. think being gay is for, like right. And then I said for me, like the corrected. But if you cut off that for me, it's kind of weird. It's like I'm being homophobic. Which we know that you're you're far from that. Exactly. So I listened to that even though I know I corrected it. I still like, man, somebody could have took it, taken that the wrong way. But you know, it's fine now. Do you want to be on the air? Like, I'm, I'm honestly, like, not as long as I've known you, I'm not sure about this. Do you want to be in charge or do you want to be on air? Um, I think I used to want to be on the air all day, every day. But then I realized how hard it is to come up with different topics every day and stay fresh and relevant and then be at the mercy of people listening to you and also be at the mercy of people like you controlling your emotions either in front of people when they come to you and say, I don't like your show, or like when people call your show and they act out of pocket or they tweet something or text something. I'm not that guy that's just going to hold my tongue and say, you know, I'm glad that they, that you're you're listening or glad that you're uh, uh, sharing your opinion with me. I would be like, I don't care. Get out of here. And then I'm at the mercy of that guy and that guy's friends and then all the rest of the people down the line and my ratings tank, and then I get a, become a failure at uh, everyday hosting. So I think about these things, and I was like, probably not. Um, but, yeah, occasionally I like to just express my opinions. But five days a week would be really tough. I admire what you and Dan and Dan and Dan every day. We, we have, have a here. lot of dance. And, you know, all the roster does every day and have to come up with a fresh idea, a new take, a uh, – Criticism of a person you might have to see later on and then, you know, have to live with that type of lifestyle, knowing that every quarter could be a time where you're replaced. I mean, we've seen it here. It was that's the reason why it was a shock to us, because that's really never happened at the score where somebody's mid contract and they just get let go. Um, That that we thought were doing well, let's say that. And uh, so right I, by some of the by some of the metrics that we have come to believe are important. Yeah. And so that no, that was this is not for me um, on the air thing all the time. I've, I think I've come to that realization. I think more of a me, um, middle me, manager, not a full manager of a station. Why not? Not yet. Not ready for it. Don't know the uh, exact metrics. I don't know the 100 percent metrics of what uh, leads to a person being successful leads to a uh, a host being successful. The I know the numbers, 25 to 54 men, um, but I don't know how to capture those guys as yet. So I need some training on that. So hopefully in the next couple years, I transition to either uh, some more of a under Mitch position or a under somebody else position or move to a different market where I can just run a station and see how I do there. And maybe come back to the score eventually again for the fourth time. But <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I I, don't think being a full-time host is my thing. It's too much stress. And you, I think one of the things you learn in this business, you know, you got to know who you are and how far you can go. Like, I can have that dream, 
but I know that I wouldn't handle that well. So as a person that is um, self-aware, I know that that's not for me, and I should not try to do that because they would make me miserable. So I don't want to be miserable. I just like to be in my spot. And the stuff I'm doing now is fine, but I know that I am. I got to grow from that too. Well, yeah, a lot of nights you end up running games, yeah. especially this time of year. There's not a lot of show for you to produce. So how do you how do you deal with that? Because I know that you have a lot of ideas that you would like to implement or guests that you would like to put on. Yeah. How do you kind of stunt your own growth in dealing with the fact that it's important that you're at the board? Like, yes. it sounds stupid, mm-hmm. but you being the executive producer of Cubs baseball is a big deal. Like, to me, I feel like that's something that that's on a resume that looks amazing. And, and you now can add, you know, Bulls basketball to that. But I would imagine that there is some frustration with you kind of came back here to run my show. And and it's not like we have as many four-hour shows that mm-hmm. you can, you know, dig your teeth into. Yeah, I accepted the job as the Cubs and your executive producer knowing that was going to be the thing. And knowing a couple times I'll get preempted by Monday night or Thursday night football, Alina DePaul. When the Bulls came along, I like I actually liked the, the Bulls um, broadcast more than I liked the Cubs broadcast. As far as um, doing the board, it's kind of easy and the games go by really quickly. But the Bulls thing kind of put the uh, the wrench in the whole program mm-hmm. because like right after the Cubs ended, it was Bulls games, and pretty much it's now Monday night, Thursday night football. Bulls and Illini and DePaul fill in the other days. And so last week we didn't have a full show. The week before I don't think we had a full show. I don't think we have one this week, the week that we're recording. We don't have a full show this week. We have a full show the 11th and the 18th of December and the 20th. The 20th I'll be off for the rest of the year. Can I just tell you that I I actually delayed a vacation so that I could do full shows. How stupid. Like that is stupid. Like in retrospect, that's really dumb. But I want to do yes some full shows where we have more time to kind of spread our wings a little stretch bit. out and do some actual things that we would like to do. Yeah, um, and I think the Bulls thing is kind of it didn't sour me on this job, but it's like, and I told this to somebody. It's like it's not beneath me, but also I think that eventually they'll be like, okay, how much are we paying this dude to do? To be a glorified bore op, and let's you know, let's move on from this. I don't think they'll do that, but also I didn't think they would uh, fire Jason. Um, so I'm not worried about that every day, but also I'm like, this job somebody at entry level could do if they really wanted to do it. They can do it as well as I could do it, and I think that's keeping my job and keeping me important. And I know Mitch values my contribution to the station. I think you do too, and so I. But I barely see you. I see you from like 6 to 6.45 most days. And yep. then you're out. And that's the show. Um, so, yeah, I uh, feel that the job is – I don't want to say it like uh, wrong. I just feel the job is not what I signed up for initially. And I know things come along with the Bulls and the us taking them. It was an opportunity that the station couldn't pass up. Yeah, and like I said, when I'm at doing the Bulls games – it's active. It's nice. Jeff Mangerton, the guy who he's re- the real executive producer. They call me that, but Jeff Mangerton, the guy who gives the stats for Chuck 
and Bill, right, who sits right next to me in the studio, is the real guy. And then Cash will cross the cross the studio when he's a away game and home games. He's at the United Center, and there couldn't be a better broadcast team as far as interaction and fun with Chuck Swarski and Bill Winnington. I like the broadcast, but I think like every time I do a show, I do a game, I'm like, man, this could have been a show. I and I don't know how many people are listening. I don't know if it's worth the 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 risk we took, but we I don't think we put a lot of skin in that game. So fine. I'll do the board, but I also think, man, this could have been a good show. I think forward to January and actually I look forward to March is the day where the Bulls are kind of winding down. The Illini are out of the tournament or they're never going to be in the tournament. DePaul might be in the NIT, mm-hmm. and then we get some games. Right? I mean, we get some shows right there. Yeah, I That's think- why I'm circling that day. Usually in February, I'm like, ugh. Well, January to me is a, a good time, but I think I'm actually going to end up going on vacation in January. But January is a good time because Monday, Thursday night football are out. There we go. We yeah we I think yeah we we open up Mondays and Thursdays. Right. Hopefully Bulls don't fill those up. Then we get some more shows. But then March is our the month I look forward to now the most because we have very few Cubs preseason games. No more uh, Lion games. No more NFL games. Just Bulls games going on and. If they're serious about playoffs, which I don't know if they can can be, we'll have some exciting times then. But we have a full month of a good of a chunk of amount, of, amount of shows right there, and then we get preempted by Cubs, which is fine. Yeah, but it's better than than White Sox. And I've had a couple fans when the Cubs, when we made the transition to having the Cubs over at the score, mm-hmm. there are people like, oh, well, you know, I'll never hear the show. And and my thing was, you'll hear more show because the Cubs usually play more day games. Than the White Sox do, Correct. so so it, it would it would always you know Friday's home games we know that Friday is going to be a full show. We yes. know that usually early on in the season we're going to have at least some full shows because of the the daytime home games that that the Cubs are going to have, which is great. Like those those are are fun and those are fun opportunities for me for sure. But I, I trust me, I share your frustration with. Wanting to do more with the art than perhaps the amount of time we have to do it. Yeah, and I don't know if you get a – you don't probably get the release of actually doing shows because this House of L is good. It's interviewing different people about different subjects. It's not necessarily sports. You do the post-game wrap-up, and then you do the pre and post on NBC Sports Chicago. But I'm sure that you want to talk about the day's events. Like when I texted you today, I was like – I was thinking to myself, I was like, we only have our 15 minutes of talking the Bears game, which I think is more important. The Bulls thing kind of threw a, a wrench in our programs. And so, yeah, I was like, you know what? I, I'm i frustrated with the Bulls. And forget John Paxson <laughs> and forget his move on this day. Let's give him the last 15 minutes of the show. And you're like, you know what? We got to talk about the, the story of the day. And I lost my principles there. But still, I was like, I want the Bears to be like, this is your only ch- chance really to talk about the Bears. And I was like, let's do an hour of the Bears and then 15 of that. And, yeah, and it's much better if we th- throw the Bears in there with the Bulls because I'm sure people are like, what's Lawrence thinking? Like right when they turn on the thing, like they've heard Danny Danny Mack and Danny Parkins talk about it and everybody else on the station talk about it. What's Lawrence thinking about the Bulls? What does he think about John Paxson's safety, Gar Pack's safety, this fifth hiring or firing of a coach? So, yeah, tonight we'll uh, – this is when this comes out. It'll be Ari Bass, but it's Monday – I think we're going to be talking to the Bulls a good deal about that, like with Tony and other people. But, yeah, I uh, 
was very uh, adamant of trying to get the Bears talk established, and I know we will. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where I've I've gotten to the point where, to me, the short shows are news shows. Like, I almost look at it as, like, the Daily Show, but with sports. Like, okay. I've got to hit, like, the main things. We got to hit them hard, and we got to just do it. Like, just that, like that's it. Like, there's... There's limited opportunity for creativity because you know me, like I love like long form interviews. Mm-hmm. I love long form audio clips yes. where the person in the car is is listening to something as I'm listening to it, and maybe they they pick up something from it, or it's an opportunity for us to share something. So it it's difficult for me because in my mind, like the way that we're producing, so we're sitting down talking before. Monday night show that starts at six o'clock. I would love to, the three guests that we're going to try to cram into 22 minutes. I would love to spend 20 minutes with each of them. Yes. Like that's like, that's, I would love to spend 20 minutes with JJ talking about the bears because there's so much that came out of Sunday's game against the giants. Same thing with the Packers. Like to me, the Packers story is fascinating the, the fact that those guys were like, you know what? We've seen enough. Mm-hmm. That's enough of that. We're going to move on. And it's and I did a video for 670 The Score. It's very reminiscent of what the Cardinals did. where Matheny Cardinals. Yes. That, that Bears fans have been lucky that they haven't maximized Aaron Rodgers. And now, all of a sudden, you might get a coach who's going to do that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of they parallel, yeah. Matheny won a championship in uh, St. Louis, and then uh, really underachieved his whole Cardinals career otherwise, and didn't have any imagination. Old school, and people would roll their eyes at him, especially players about his old school style. That exactly fits into what McCarthy was up in Green Bay, and losing the Cardinals game, the Arizona Cardinals at home, was the last straw. I look forward to who they're going to be getting the next uh, coach. I hope it's Pat Fitzgerald. So really, yes. So I can hate him even more. Yeah, you guys are been feuding. How long have you and how long has he blocked you on Twitter? Probably um, after he said that thing about Jeremy Lin uh, on Twitter on his tweet on his Twitter line, and then blamed it on a guy who was the director of football operations, and then that guy still is hired as on uh, the Northwestern football uh, staff. Um, so that was like two thousand nine. So almost, you've been blocked for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I said, cause he said some stuff. It's like, finally, there's a guy in the NBA with some integrity and plays the game the right way. And you know, semi-racist. And thing. You, you felt it was dog. Oh whistling. my goodness. It was dog whistling. And then they blamed the other guy um, who's still on the, on the staff. So yeah, I don't, I haven't liked that guy for a long time. Um, other stories have been come to the, come to pass about him before that. So I was already not a fan. And then, the whole Chicago's Big Ten team, the way he talks, never been a fan of Pat Fitzgerald. But this year, I, I give him kudos. He's done a great job. My hatred towards him will not preclude me from actually giving him a His hat props. tip. Because he did a great job. Winning the uh, Big Ten West is no small feat, especially for a school like that. I wish he moves on to the Packers so the Bears can smash him every week. And everybody else can hate him <laughs> like I do. Do you think that people would – React like they reacted to Wayne Larrabee going to 
Do you remember? Like, do you yes. remember that? Like yes. how angry? So visceral. And isn't that Wayne Larry's like hometown or like his team that he wanted to root for and wanted to do the play by play for? So, yeah, he went home. Yeah, so I don't. I understood the move. It was kind of like the move when um, uh, John Rooney went on to St. Louis after the World Series for the White Sox. Uh, it's a better opportunity. He gets to spread his wings. Probably Wayne Rooney saw. Uh, Wayne, Wayne Larry saw that. Uh, how they treated Hub a little bit, and like you know what, uh, I'm out. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's like, I'm, I'm gonna bounce. I'm gonna do this thing up in Wisconsin. When did you know that you had a bug for this business? Um, when I was specifically, I had love for the score when I was in middle school. Um, my uh, baseball coach, little league baseball coach Richard Swanson, used to have the score on all the time to and from practice because he used to drive me from practice and or games sometimes because my mom couldn't go or my mom couldn't make it because she was working and he would have the score on and I was like what is this I would be listening and I was like man that is something I would like to do in my future like at least be a host at the score that'd be some of the greatest things of all time and then I've kind of focused my attention after I knew I couldn't play baseball past uh, high school even in high school uh, and football past college, I was like, you know what? I would love to do the score, and let me set my sights onto that. And I think I went to Illinois Media School with my sights set on it and went to the Jerry Springer Show to get my intern creds out the way and then subsequently came to Jesse Rogers as a, um, hey, can I work the rest of my internship, the rest of my months here at the score? And Jesse's like, no, you don't have enough time. You don't have enough uh, credits. Um, to get in here, but we can put you in for a line eye football and basketball on the uh, um, on the board. I was like, bet. And then from there, I pretty much uh, worked my way up. Um, it was a good time. It was uh, Les Grobstein. I think you had done Les Grobstein when I initially arrived, and like you moved up really quickly. Like when I got there, was it 2000? I was already on the afternoon show by okay. then. It was Mac and, and Jigs then. I don't remember who was on the on the Les Grobstein show initially then. Uh, it was either Eric Beverly or somebody else, and they had moved on, and I got the chance to do full-time with Les, like I think four or five months into my internship, or my first starting uh, in the middle of like October of 2000. I got to do Les Grobstein's show, and then Hood tabbed me for the his first show in like 2001. I remember one of our first shows was this, was the uh, 9-11 Aftermath shows. Tough, real tough. We pretty much just played CBS News the whole time, and just Hood would just come in every 20 minutes and remind people it's, this is the score and we're listening to this. So, yeah, I've – and ever since then, I've pretty much been a score guy except for a couple stops other places. But uh, even when I leave here, eventually again, I'll still be a score guy. There's nothing better in the city. Mitch Rosen is be- the best boss I've ever had. Met some of the best friends I've ever had here at the score, yourself included. Um, and yeah, I've always been a fan of this place. And uh, working here is a very, very uh, much of a privilege. And I will never take it for granted. And I uh, love, love the score fans, even though sometimes I argue with them. What was it like working for Les? Um, initially, working for Les was like, it was everything people think Les is. Back in the day, like he was like smart. He knew everything. He was hardworking. I mean, these qualities still 
pull over to now, but I think more back then it was, you know, he's up in age now, so he's not as – I've heard all the stories, so I get kind of jaded with Les and how he is right now. But back then I was like, man, I get to work with legendary Les Grobstein. All the stories, he's coming back from Indy. Uh, I got to be – he's got to be on the phone while I'm on the board. And I remember you telling me a story uh, like when you were his guy – he would uh, fall asleep in the middle of a segment, and you would have to wake him up because he had come back from some place like Detroit or Indy, and then did the show. And halfway through, he'd like fall asleep. That was I didn't get that, but I got the driving back from Indy and like doing an hour on the phone, holding down the fort at the uh, score bunker back at uh, Belmont. That was all great. He was great to me. He allowed me to do a couple things on the board. I don't know. He usually did the, the weather and stuff, and I remember we had to take a break from, I think it was 3.30 to about 4.30. Yeah, you usually replay something between 3.30 and 4.30 for, for less. I remember I forgot because you had to replay like a early, like a, the first hour, the first uh, like 12.30 to 1.30 or something, like 1 to 2, and I forgot it one time, and I thought he was going to be pissed, and he was like, no, and he just did it live. He did that segment live because usually he would just go away to go to sleep somewhere. Get some coffee. Yeah, go go down the street and look at some books or something like that. But I remember him being very kind to me, allowing me to go on the air, talk as a 21, 22-year-old. And that was my first exposure to radio. And, yeah, he was very nice to me. Um, the hours were good, but sometimes I would fall asleep on the way back home to Carroll Stream because I was still com- commuting from my mom's house to Chicago. And I was like, man, I wish I could live in the city. And the hours and the money didn't uh, allow me to do that eventually with Les Show. And then when I got Hood Show, I've, I got enough money. Even though it wasn't that much of a raise, it was like a thousand more dollars. I wonder, I've never really asked Les this. I wonder if he would let producers talk out of necessity. Or if there was a, hey, you know, they're part of the show, producers should talk. Because I'll, I'll tell you that part of the reasons that, that I believe in producers being a part of the show mm-hmm. is because Les opened up that door for me. And that there was never any, well, you can't talk or you're not allowed to talk. He felt like if you had something to add, then you should add it. And he wasn't afraid. Even if he disagreed yes. with whatever your point was, mm-hmm. he was okay with you saying it. And then he would promote you as such. Like he would he would say, you know, Lawrence is going to talk about the White Sox or Herbie's going to talk about the Bears. And I always appreciated that. Yeah, I think he did it out of both. He didn't like to talk that much. I mean, he still, he doesn't like to talk all that long about himself. Sometimes he would just read the promo sheet just to give a a promo to the station and also give him a break from, you know, there's no calls, there's no uh, text coming in right now, so let me, you know, vamp on the air and, you know, ask you a question, Herb, or if you have something, you can always crack the mic. I felt like, well, felt like you right now, like I can crack the mic at any time. Sure. And the same way with Les, but I don't know if it's necessarily, like if he's having a role and he's getting good calls, I don't necessarily think that he wants Herb to be speaking right now. He's not against it, but I think any time that I can crack the mic with you is like, hey, please contribute. I want you to. It's our show. It's the, I think you said you styled the show after uh, Dan Patrick. You want that interaction. I think that Les thinks, hey, 
if I can get this person on, it'll give me a chance to collect my thoughts and also give them some shine. It's both. It's it's not necessarily I'm giving them shine just because I think that I can develop them. It was, hey, I need a break because I've been working all day. Because I don't think people realize, like, Les hardly sleeps. Right. Like, he would be, like, if he's at a baseball game, the baseball game, you know, the clubhouse is open at 3, let's say it's a night game. The clubhouse opens at 3.30. Les is there at the clubhouse. He stays through the game. The game ends at 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Then comes and does a show. Back then, when I was producing, yeah. it was, you know, midnight to 5.30 or whatever it was. Now it's it's sometimes in some cases longer mm-hmm. um, when he has to do those ten to five five a.m. shows, but yeah, he'd be working all day. Yeah, so he he clearly needed a a mental and physical break from time to time, which is what you would end up you know getting with the producers talking. Yeah, I know that there's produ- there's show hosts that don't want the producers talking unless prompted. Correct. We both know these guys, and we don't need to say the names, We've- Murph. Um, <laughs> That don't want the producers to be talking. They don't even want the other hosts to be talking while they're working. And I know that Rick Tellender was told this, like he gets the host and Hood doesn't get to interview the the damn guest. Which, which was ridiculous. It didn't make any damn sense. And this is the thing. I was away from the station at the time, and I was thinking, like, this is the dumbest thing. They're, they're emasculating Jake, uh, Hood, who's the best guy on that station, for Rick Tellender. And, you know. I understand the Paul Agassi angle, and he played for his dad. Whatever. I I also understand the the look. I I think that we have. I think that over the last few years, it's become at the score in particular easy to lampoon Rick Tellender, but his career. I mean, th- this guy had some of the most incredible stories in sports for a really long time. Indeed. So I understand the idea of. Rick is a master interviewer, but the the difference is is that there's a difference between doing an interview when you're writing a piece and how that sounds and looks differently than an interview that is on the air. And Jonathan was the most skilled of the three guys. Yes, he was the most skilled radio person. So why wouldn't you let the radio person? be a part of the interviews. I always thought it was a little bit bizarre. Same thing with North when he had uh, Fred in the morning show. Like, you use Fred. Fred is very learned. He knows the station. He knows how to speak. He knows how to in- ask interviews. I, I just think one of the most underutilized guys, and me and Fred don't, like, come to eye to eye on many things. He's an old school guy. But he was, I think he's been neutered sometimes by his co-host or his host on the shows, like Murph and North. And not used appropriately. And just to see him in the room uh, while somebody else interviews the whole time was irritating. It was uh, I just hate shows like that where the star is the, the guy and then they got like guest stars. No. let's You can get paid differently. But this mic, I got the mic too. Let me talk. My name's on the marquee too. Let me talk. So, yeah, I... Uh, I appreciate hosts who are not afraid, who are, in, who are secure with their show and how, what their standing is, and allow people to spread their wings. Like you always say, it's climb. I mean, lift while you climb. So I'm going up. I'm bringing you with me. If you can come with me, go ahead. That's excellent. If you can't, at least I tried to bring you up to my level. That's the goal. Yeah. What do you like? What sports shows do you like to listen to? Um. Like intelligent ones, um, Nick Wright, 
I don't know if you've ever seen the show he does with Chris Carter. And Jenna Wolf. Yeah. Um, I like his style. He just is just very learned. And he's very uh, detailed about his opinion. His opinion might be off the the main topic or off the what people are thinking, but he explains it. He breaks it down of what, what why he thinks this way and why his way is the right way. I no, not even play on words. Why his way is the right way. And I think you have to be that way, but also give yourself a chance to be wrong. And I think he does that too. So if he believes that Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback of all time, which I also believe, he spells it out with the numbers, with the performance, and then goes against the people that you would think that are also the GOATs, like Tom Brady or Drew Brees, and then allows himself to, um, if I'm wrong, prove me wrong. Here's the, your platform, Chris Carter or anybody else who's on the station, to prove me wrong. If you can't, I'm going to keep my opinion, but I'm open for you to change my mind. That's exactly what I, I aspire to be on Twitter or whenever I speak to somebody. I believe in what I believe. I'm not just, just throwing things out there just to throw them out there. I'm throwing them out there because I believe it. I give a detailed opinion about why I think this is, it, is the reason and then give you a chance to come at me again. No need for name calling because that's the thing I am uh, very sensitive about. If you call me a name or idiot or dummy, no. Just come at me and say, Herb, I disagree with you, and this is the reasons why. Detailed reasons. I remember I told you there was a thing I said on um, about spanking when Adrian Peterson was spanking his child after years of, uh, I think, abuse before. And I was like, you know what? I don't mind Adrian Peterson spanking his own child it's difficult to raise a black man in this, in this world, whatever, whatever. I got some counsel from a guy, uh, Dan Hayes, who used to work here at NBC Sports Chicago, now is a Minnesota Twins beat writer. Incredible guy. Yeah, and off the air, uh, off the Twitter, on DM, he's like, you know what, Herb, You know, this is where I'm coming from. I know you're a good guy. I would say that you're wrong in this regard, this regard, in this regard. Listen to that person who just told you to, listen, to uh, read that person's article. And uh, if you after that, you change your mind. Cool. If not, excellent. And so I was like, you know what, Dan, I think you know me and you know that I'm not that kind of guy who's in that tweet was kind of dismissive. So I appreciate your counsel. And I did. I listened to what uh, another texter or tweeter sent out a link to a doctor's report on spanking and such. And I read it and I was like, you know what? I get the perspective. I appreciate Dan reaching out to me. And correcting me, I think, or just counseling me on something that he thought I was being uh, irrational about. And I listened and I changed my mind. So I'm not against changing my mind, but I'm also going to state my opinion. And I think that Nick Wright does that. I think he's also a guy that can change his opinion when he's proven wrong. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I was wrong. Mea culpa. I'm sorry. That's the guys I like the most. And that's what Nick Wright is. Too many in our society are like, Throwing out things, and once their takes are wrong, they just you know brush past them. Once their takes are right, you are hearing about that every day. I'm not that guy, and Nick Wright, I don't think it's that guy either. Anyone else that you listen to that you like? Um, I'm not a big time sports radio guy. I listen to our show actively. Um, I'm trying to think. I there's no other like podcast that you dig on. <sighs> not really. When I'm at home, I'm usually watching. YouTube, so I'm watching things about, I like, even though if I don't like a subject, I like people who know about a subject very well, and they explain it and break it down, 
and they have passion for it. Like when Alpana Singh was doing the uh, check please thing or when she was doing the, um, what's that, the wine sommelier thing and talking about wine, I don't care about wine. But the way she talks about it, the way she knows about wine, I find fascinating. Same thing with Eddie Trunk. He's a hard metal guy, hard rock guy. He knows hard rock. He knows heavy metal. And I can listen to him talk about that forever. There's another uh, couple people. Um, I don't know if there's a series called Epicurious. It's via Bon Appetit, the magazine, who has a, a YouTube cl- channel also. It's just people they're bringing in that are cheese experts or chocolate experts or coffee experts, knife experts that are talking about which they put two things in front of them and they say which one is the more expensive version of those uh, products. And so these people are just testing uh, chocolates or cheese or um, what have you, spices, and they're telling the audience which ones they think are the the best based on taste, color, uh, visual, and then they're breaking it down why these things would be more expensive. And they get them right. I've only seen one guy get it wrong out of the – like they do like five comparisons each show, and I've seen like six of those shows. Only one answer has been wrong. And it was kind of wrong because he wasn't really an expert on the specific um, thing that was going on. I think it was uh, bacon, and he was a little off on which type of bacon it was. So, yeah, I watch those because I love to watch people with passion talk about the thing they're passionate about. And it's great. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Epicurious on YouTube. Much uh, entertainment. It's like a... 12-minute show, probably. Really? Yeah. I'll check that out. That that sounds kind of interesting. And then the other show I watch is a guy named Jarvis Johnson. He's a, uh, I think he's IT professional out in San Francisco. He's on YouTube. He pretty much craps on other YouTube channels. How so? He's, he breaks, breaks it down of how these people get their followers. He, like, he himself cracked the YouTube algorithm because he's a really smart guy so he does things to get viewers because he knows the algorithm he was a youtube guy since like 2006 but then he you know grew up and now he's like 25 and this whole time he only had a couple thousand uh subscribers he blew up this year because he was talking smack about either five minute fixes or um jake what's the the paul kids jake and logan paul yeah yeah, he talked about them in a very um, informative way where he's like, this is how they get their followers. This is why they're bullshit. And this is this is what the lesson is. He craps on them. And then he crapped on himself, like why um, Jarvis Johnson's channel is the worst channel. And then he craps on his whole life in on the YouTube, on YouTube, the YouTube, I'm 80 now. Um, so, yeah, it's a good one. Jarvis Johnson, if you don't have a... Uh, subscription, get it. He is a funny guy. His real job is IT professional out in San Francisco. Probably makes like three, four hundred thousand dollars, and does this YouTube stuff just as a just as a lark. Have you thought about maybe doing some of that? Because I think that there would be people who are interested. I and, and it's the weird thing about Jarvis Johnson. He shares kind of my story. He's a black kid, but he's younger than I am. Same thing. He has the uh, space between his teeth, in between his teeth, like I did. He got his fixed through. You know, he's rich, and he's like, I just might as well. And then because he went on YouTube, and the first thing people are like, oh, why don't you get your teeth fixed? You know, I've been having that my whole life. <laughs> and I'm like, that's half the thing. That The visual is half the thing. I'm like, ugh. I like to share my opinions, but I don't like 
for people to criticize me on my looks. It's weird. Everybody has their thing, and I that's one of the things I have. I don't really care necessarily anymore, but it'll be like the cumulative effect of everybody saying it's like that's enough. Is it because that you're you're offended that they aren't coming after your point of view? Correct. I hate Ed Hominin attacks. Just yeah, my opinion already leaves for many things to be attacked. A hundred percent things to be attacked. My looks matter not at anybody. I never like to come at people for their looks. And so when somebody else calls somebody fat or calls somebody uh, they need to eat less sandwiches or their eyes crooked, it's like, you know what? Those are things that they couldn't control. Talk about what they can control, which is their opinion. If you would disagree with their opinion, smooth. Go at their opinion. And that's why I try to not do ad hominem attacks on Twitter. I go at what that guy's opinion was or what that guy's opinion has been in the past and why this that opinion might you know get might have uh, birthed this opinion but I'll never say man that guy has been you know eating way too many sandwiches or he needs to gain some weight things like that that's just dumb that's neither here nor there they're not there for that unless that person is being hypocritical which I think that uh, people like, um, even then, I'm not even going at their opinion. I'm going at their um, their platform. So Candace Owens or Kanye, when he was doing this whole, I'm a red pill guy and now I'm a conservative. I didn't believe it. I don't believe the Candace Owens thing either. You don't need to be black and a liberal. You don't need to be black and a Democrat. But you need to be somebody who's honest with themselves. And what Candace Owens is, is... White people, conservatives, using her as a weapon against other black people. Not, not hey, I'm conservative, and this is why I'm a conservative. Candace Owens is. Because I think that they're, like, like for example, Tara Setmeyer yes. is, is a black conservative that says, here I'm a black person who happens to be conservative. Here's why I'm conservative. Yeah, and her, yeah, and Tara, and that, her thing is, I'm a conservative because I am a conservative. I actually believe in these principles. Candace Owens is. I'm a conservative because Democrats didn't do this for me, and you as a black person are on the plantation, and you need to get off the plantation. She's not saying, man, Donald Trump's plans for me work out. I am this because I am, because I believe that Donald Trump is my guy. He speaks to me. If she said that as a, as a person, I'd be like, you know what? That's on you. I disagree with you wholeheartedly. Same thing they did with Stacey Dash. Same thing they do with uh, Larry Elder. Um, that Colin Noir guy, they just send them out there to say, blacks, you're on the wrong track. Blacks, you're uh, you're on the plantation. What have the Democrats done for you? Whatever. But I, w- I would wholeheartedly agree with somebody and their platform if they just, like, said, yeah, I'm black. But you know what? I don't have to be a Democrat like most of us are. I am a Republican because of this, that, and the other, and then live their lives as such. Candace Owens will be eventually coming back to the Democratic Party or some liberal type of format where she was before, and she's this her red pill thing is where she's like, oh, I finally found the truth because I was such a, a liberal years before, and now I'm a Republican and a conservative because I found the truth that the Democratic Party doesn't care about black people and the Republicans do. And I want to use my my voice to talk down to black people to tell them to come off the plantation. I don't need you to do that. 
And that's how she makes her money. She makes her money off of, I don't know if there's a specific word, but I wouldn't call her a Tom. Hucksterism. Or, yeah, there. I wouldn't call her like shucking. I would just call her an opportunist, an opportunist who is not honest with herself. If she was really honest with herself, I think she would be the way she was brought up. She saw some money, and I've said this many years ago, that if I had no integrity and loved money, I can turn into a conservative radio talk show host and make millions. Millions. You could also do, like, for in our industry, you could do that thing, too. Yeah. You, oh. you, you can do the hot take thing and mm-hmm. be an opinionista if, if you wanted to. Same thing with, hey, Jason Whitlock is the same way. And that's another we're going calling back to getting on somebody's appearance. Don't need to get on Jason Whitlock's appearance. There's so much more. So much more, he says, that are, I think, unfounded. And he doesn't believe himself. He just wants to shine the spotlight. Um, the whole undefeated thing. And he kind of left that go. Like he was given a platform and he just left. Luckily, those people have survived as such. Or they're still around. I don't know if they're thriving or not, but they're doing well enough to to stay afloat. But he left for Jason Whitlock, so Jason Whitlock can get a story on Fox, and so he can be on Fox News and be a provocateur there and say, "I don't believe Colin Kaepernick is this and that." And you know, those people on the conservative stations eat that up from a black dude, so they can say, "I didn't say that. That was Jason. That was a black dude. So he's not racist. He's black." And I'm just using his words to make my point. And I think that's what conservatives do with these type of people. You see they're not doing that with Michael Steele. Michael Steele was once the RNC chairman. He's still a conservative. He's still a Republican. But they're not using his words against us to tell black people they need to live better lives. No, because Michael Steele's a real dude. Um, To a certain extent, Alan Keyes was a real dude. Even though we disagree with him, there's no, there's no like hucksterism, as you would say. He's not a huckster. He's not a, he's not a guy out there just telling black people they should live this way, and get off of the plantation. It's funny, uh, J.C. Watts. Th- there, what I've never under, well, I mean, I understand it to a certain extent. I, but when it comes to conservatism, black people as a voting, like if you look at the records. Black people are fairly conservative on on topics that don't have to do with them. Yes. <laughs> when it comes to any other group, if you look at voting habits, if you look at gay marriage for exactly Prop 8 in California, the, the most liberal state, quote mark, a liberal state in the union, black people's vote against Prop 8. Because there is still an attachment to the church and the church allowing for some political you know, ethos and, and all that stuff, I've never understood why, why Republicans haven't tried harder to appeal in a non-condescending way mm-hmm. to some of those aspects of black culture to cult- cultivate a, a, a base of people that genuinely care about conservative values. I've never understood that outside of the the idea that that you don't really want those people in your party. Yeah, I think they do. And I think they're trying to get also uh, Latinos into their party, but they don't want to alienate their strong base. 
And some of their strong base doesn't want those people in their party. The top, I think the top of the, the ticket, uh, the Ronald McDon- McDaniels, um, would want to cultivate a relationship with blacks and Latinos because they see where the country's going. But also they are like, our base is deep south. Some people are not ready. And we've seen with this cycle with uh, President Trump, it's been brought out on people. Like, we already knew it was there. But now it's been like, okay, there was no more dog whistling. It's, hey, I agree there's people, good people on both sides. And both sides are people who don't like fascists and fascists. How do you agree with fascists? How do you agree in America with fascists? How do you agree with white supremacy? How do, how do you, how are you a patriot? Yeah. Yet you believe in fascism. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and we were talking about how on the extremes of the left and right, you can go so far. Like if you look at it and I know that there's an actual name for the theory, um, but if, if you use the, the political leanings of the country and go f- as far left and as far right as you can, mm-hmm. and then that is graphed into an upside down you, that the people that are closest are the people on the far left and the far right, and that it's an easier jump to go all the way left that you go right or all the way right that you go left. And I think that we saw some of that. In 2016, I, I think we saw some of that with the Bernie bros yes. all, all uh. the way to the left that you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't match what it is you say that you're about. Yes. And trust me, if Bernie became the nominee, I would have checked the box cringing. But I knew that Bernie would have been better for the country than Donald Trump. And yes, I don't like Bernie Bros as much as any. I have I think I block more Bernie Bros than I block conservatives. People. Exactly. Cuz they're just so unwilling to compromise. They wanted this country to go center right, which it was at the time of the election, I believe, still. Uh, cuz I think Barack Obama is pretty much a centrist, a moderate sure. uh democrat. It was like center right cuz I think our country has always kind of been right uh on the uh on the scale, scale. yeah to all the way to, like, deep progressive left, like, full giving people money to go to college. Or, Socialism. Yeah. They wanted that. I was like, dudes, we can't we can't go from where we are to where you want to be. So, yes, keep your, keep your, keep your values. values right there, and let's move the country slowly. Like, I know you think that Hillary is some corporate chill, is on the same level as Donald Trump, but you know what? She's adopting what your guy, Bernie Sanders, says that he wants. The most progressive platform in American history. Let's move the country a little bit more left. If it's not center, let's I mean it's not center left, maybe just center. Let's just keep on incrementally showing the country that this is the right way. We can't swing the country that much. And I think part of that cost Hillary the election, where these guys are like, no, Hillary, I mean it's Bernie or nothing. And then people seeing the Democratic Party as those people, the progressives, the guys who are all the way to the left, and the guys in the middle, the moderates and the independents are like, "Uh, I I, I like, you know, Hillary, but also I don't want the country to go that far left. I'm comfortable where I'm at right now. And they're thinking that Trump and Hillary are interchangeable. And so much talk about that. Like, you know, it's the the lesser of two evils. I'm not going to vote for either of those. So... 
we know that now Trump is pretty much very far right. And Hillary is still a, centri- a centrist uh, Democrat. She still believes in the things she believes in. She's a she's a war hawk. She voted for the uh, the war in Iraq. Um, but she's not the person that the Bernie bros wanted. And necessarily not the person that I wanted, but I was definitely with her out of all the candidates that went uh, last cycle. The problem is, I think, in the next cycle is Bernie's coming back. And they're going to say, hey. I think Hillary might come back, too. But then there's that fatigue, though. This is the third time. I think there's fatigue with both of those candidates. But I think Bernie lost, and then they'll come back and say, you know what? Remember last time when you didn't vote for Bernie? You lost. So this time, let's go with Bernie. And then, you know, Hillary can be our I'm curious on what might happen in the Republican Party. I'm curious if there will be some pushback from, I don't even want to say centrist Republicans, but the establishment Republican Party. Will we see John Kasich challenge Donald Trump to a primary? John Kasich would be a great president. A great president. I disagree with him on many things. Many things. Are you thinking Kasich O'Rourke? Is that? <laughs> oh, I would. I would love Kasich O'Rourke. Man, I, there you go. There's your perfect weird thing. I mean, marriage. we grew up here in Illinois with with Republicans who I disagreed with, but also I respected. Jim Edgar. I mean, who disrespects Jim Edgar? Jim Edgar was a great governor. Uh, Big Jim Thompson, uh, Judy Bartzapinka. These are the Republicans we used to have. Um, Tim Pawlenty up in Minnesota, he was too, uh, oh gosh, golly, oh gee, my, and for Republicans, and they never gave him a chance. That's the type of Republicans I want back. The party's been taken over by people who are, don't have the best, the country's best interests at hand and really are looking for corporate money and, uh, mostly white nationalism to prevail and to continue the white supremacy to continue. So I hope somehow a Republican candidate challenges um, Donald Trump. I don't think he'll be there, let's say that, by 2020. I think he'll be gone way before that. I think next year Donald Trump will be either resigned or removed from the office. Hmm. Yes. Um, And I think then that sets up a challenge for a guy who is left of uh, Mike Pence, hopefully a John Kasich. John Kasich wins over everybody, I think. Any candidate that you put in there. But if Trump is still in there, there's no one that's going to go against him. There's no one that can go against him. The RNC wouldn't allow it. The RNC is lockstep. It's a Trump party now. So Ronald McDaniel and all the guys Haley. would be saying no. Yeah, even the furrowed brow people would still be there. I call them the furrowed brow uh, uh, senators. So uh, Jeff Flake, who will be retiring at the end of the year. Um, Susan Collins, uh, Flaker. Um, the Speaker of the not House. Not Flaker. Um, what's his name? Uh, Corker. Bob Corker. Leaving. Yeah, they're all leaving, but they're like, mm, I'm really concerned about what they're doing here at the White House. And then vote for the same thing the White House wants to vote for. I Paul hate, Ryan. Oh, yeah. Those same guys. I hate them. Like, has some integrity. If you don't speak on it, if you don't disagree, if you disagree, vote against it. Vote against the plans that this man is advancing. But I don't think there's going to be a left uh, challenge on the Republican side if if. Donald Trump's still there. The best case scenario is he gets removed. They get a year and a half of Mike Pence to see his bad policies. And then John Kasich says, enough is enough. Let me throw my ticket in there. Let me throw my hat in the ring. I don't see a Democrat right now that's a front runner. 
If Hillary gets back in there, like I said, it's going to be fatigue. Same thing with Bernie. I don't know if Beto O'Rourke is ready for it. I would Kamala love for him Harris. to be it. Kamala, uh, Cory Booker. None of these guys are front runners yet. Maybe if they throw their hat in the ring and give me some more substance and a little bit more campaigning, I can get somebody can get a fervor going. But right now, the Democratic Party, I think if they went against Trump right now with their top guy, I think they'll still lose. Let me get back to radio for the last question. Okay. What would what advice would you give someone who wanted to do what you do? I would say you got to love the topic you're covering. And I do love sports. So sports, uh, radio producing, you got to love that initially. You can't fake it. It's really hard because it's every day. It's constant. Um, I would say also read newspapers, magazines about these things. Listen to shows, podcasts. Gather the gather what people are saying. People who are in the know are saying about the sports that you love, and it's a good way to support those people to continue to doing their jobs. Because when we grew up, we used to have to read newspapers to get the the dirt to get what's going on really in the locker room, in the clubhouse. Um, and those people are sadly going away. So I would definitely try to get as much information from those people because they are, they know so much more than they're actually writing, but they'll give you little clips and tips if you read them closely, if you watch them closely, especially like if they're on these TV shows and they got free will. If they're on your show right here in the House of L. They'll give you exactly what they're saying without saying it. Um, and then um, I didn't I didn't go to traditional college. I went to Illinois Media School. But I would say go to a four-year university. You can always come back to Illinois Media, Media School later if you want to. And enjoy being young first because this job is going to be a grind. It's going to be hard. It's going to be you not making a lot of money. You need to have a little fun before you do this job. Not saying this job is not fun. But I'm saying, like, you're not going to be having fun while doing this job afterwards. And you're not going to be going out drinking with your boys for a long time because radio doesn't pay a lot initially. You're going to be struggling a lot. So you got to get that out of your mind and be willing to leave the safe zone that you're in. So if you're in Chicago market and you want to be the score, look around. Tony's 25. He's a part-timer. He's going to be in this industry for a long time. Eli Hershkowitz the same way. They're young cats, so the people who are under me are young cats. They're not going away anytime soon. I've been here for 15 years plus. I mean, I might eventually go away soon, but I'm not going away in the near future, so there might not be spots open for you in Chicago. Might be one in Milwaukee. Might be one in Rockford. Santa Fe. Santa Fe. You say Arizona radio is not that you know, hopping. It's you not know. great. You might go out there and do more things and be more qualified once you go out there for two, three years being a – sales rep slash board op slash producer slash part-time host. You might get a little bit more shine out there and a little bit more responsibility. So when you come back to Chicago, you can always do that. Danny Parkins is a great example of that. And then you're ready more for the job than you would have been if you would just came and stayed in Chicago at a lesser job. Like if you are just a, a part-timer for like eight years. And trust me, even after I was a full-timer, I was a part-timer when I came back. And I had to work to be a full timer again. So you got to have resilience. You got to want to work here. You're gonna have to work, want to take a lot of crap from people that you don't respect. I mean, we said the name earlier. Like, and even though Murph didn't treat me badly, 
I didn't respect the guy. He treated producers and co-hosts like crap. One of those things you have to do is just eat crap. If you're getting, if he's getting ratings, he's not going anywhere. You got to have to eat some shit for, for Murph, for the Murphs of the world. You're going to have to eat some shit for, even though I think Mike North is very talented, you're going to have to eat some shit for him from guys like that. And not, uh, if you, if you fight back, you're going to be out. Cause I've seen a lot of guys try to fight back and they're out of the industry because those guys got power. So I would just say, just have fun in your life earlier. And then once you get here, put your head down, talk less, listen more, do the job, work hard, work smart, not hard. Thanks, Herbie. I appreciate this. This was fun. It was good. Thank you, sir. So if you ever wondered, what's it like to be a friend with Herb Lawrence? What's it like to be in a conversation with Herbie? That's it. Like, that's who he is. Which is great, because I feel like with everything that we talked about, we captured some of it. And some good less stories in there as well. I'm wondering on whether or not I'll do an episode with less. I'm thinking about it. It'll be interesting. I just... It's one of those episodes where I feel like I would have no control. And if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm a bit of a control freak. But it might be great. It might be like, just let him go and do what he does. And it ends up being fantastic. But I'm glad you got a chance to hear Herbie. He's he's fantastic. I I, I adore him. He's one of the, the people that I genuinely adore. It's hard to have a bad time whenever that guy is around. Let me look at your emails. House of L podcast at gmail.com is the way that you can email. This is from Gabriel. He says, Mr. Holmes. I mean, you can go with Lawrence. Like, I can't even say professor because that's also my dad. If I was going to do the old joke, well, Mr. Holmes is my dad. I can't even say you could call me Professor Holmes because that's also my dad. So Lawrence works, but. I appreciate the respect, and I see by the end of this why you're so respectful. Um, Gabriel writes, I've listened to every single episode that you have produced. At one time, I applied to obtain an internship at WSCR. It was turned down by Miss Abby Polanski. Abby's old drawers. (laughs) I decided to apply to serve in the military. I listen to your podcast while I'm off duty, while on board the USS Ronald Reagan. Thank you for your knowledge and the entertainment you provide with each episode. The episodes with Ms. Krull, Ms. Santos, Ms. Duarte, Mr. Benetti, and Mr. Cornette have been the best so far. Keep up the quality work. Regards, Commander Gabriel Garcia, United States Navy. Well, Gabriel, thank you for listening. I always wonder when I look around and see where, where listenership is. Because the Libsyn, where that's the liberated syndication is what the company is called the people that give you the direct download of the podcast, they let me know like where downloads are happening around the world. And I always wonder if I have some military people that are stationed in other countries, other continents. And I like that you're listening. I'm glad that you're listening on the boat. So please be careful out there on the USS Ronald Reagan and send me some swag. Is that allowed as a non- military person allowed to wear military swag you let me know gabriel but if i am i would very much love some sort of naval thing fun fact before i 
got my internship at Channel 9 my senior year, which is really late to get an internship. I had done the radio internship. I was on my way to law school, and I was on my way to law school at Tulane and the Navy paying for it so I could become a judge advocate general. So I've always had a little bit of an affection for for the Navy. Like, that's where I thought I might end up. I guess I'd love the show Jag. But, yes, I, I thought about doing that. So thank you. I appreciate it. And those episodes are great. The Kelly Crow, and it's so weird because they're, well, I guess it's not that weird because you're talking about different people. But Kelly's interview is different than Sierra's. And they're both, like, really good, but for different reasons. Jordan Cornette one, that one blows people away. And if you haven't listened to it, if you skipped over it, you should go back and listen to it because it's incredible. And I'm glad that you've been with us since the beginning. Jason Benetti was the the number one episode. You know, that was the first episode. It was the, I told him, I said, you're the pilot. You're the pilot episode of House of L. And it was great. At some point, I'd like to talk to him again. I'm trying to kind of do as many people as I can before I do a guest the second time. But I, I'm if Jason's up for it, I wouldn't mind talking to him again because now we're in the season where he's doing basketball games and football games, and I would love to pick his brain about that. So we'll see if he's available. But Gabriel, thank you so much. I appreciate you listening. Take care of yourself out there. We don't want anything to happen to you or anyone you're on the boat with. This from Eric. Hey, Lawrence, I love the podcast. I just started a new job with about an hour commute, and it helps get me through the drive. A few guests I would love to hear. Pat Tomasulo, Matt Abaticola, Terry Bores, Matt Spiegel, Hub Arkish, Steve Stone. I've offered Pat an opportunity to be on the podcast. He's too busy. Too busy. Between getting up early and doing the sports cast over at Channel 9 and the Man of the People show, I don't know when we would do it. I honestly don't. Getting Uncle Terry in here would be cool. I feel like I feel like Terry's like getting that itch again. So maybe, maybe I'll uh I'll reach out to him. He had joked on Twitter that he and Jason should do a podcast, which I personally would like to produce. I've got a lot of ideas. Now that I've started this entrepreneurial venture, it sparked a lot of ideas. So I, it's so funny. Before I came in and recorded the front and back end of this episode, I just threw an idea out to Mitch that hopefully you will see. And when it happens, I will tell you that it was me because I want the credit. <clears throat> Maddie and I have kind of been playing podcast tag We've been thinking that we should do a home and home. Like I should do his podcast with Jason Ferrari and then he could do mine. Speaks has a standing invitation. He told me that at some point he will do it, but he's not there yet. And I think he's not there yet contractually. And that's all I have to say about that. Stoney would be great. I don't know if I can afford Steve. I don't know if I can get him to sit down and do this without payment. And Hub. Hub would be a, a really... I'd love to talk to Hub about the Bears stuff. When he used to work for the Bears. But I appreciate that. Thank you very much for sending that in. What else do we have? This is from Matthew. 
I would love to hear someone interview you. I enjoy listening to you on the score and think you have a time slot in which you don't score and think you should have a time slot in which you don't have shortened shows because of Cubs games or whatever. If you've made it through this episode, Matt, you've heard Herbie talking about that. The interviews have been great. My favorite so far have been Cheryl Scott and Barry Rosner. I have some catching up to do. P.S. I'm a runner, too. Would love to say what's up at an event sometime. I have given up running for the winter, and my body feels great. I'm still on the elliptical. I'm still getting my miles in, but I don't, I'm not sure this body was built for running. So I've actually started lifting again, like seriously lifting, not like heavyweights. Like I'm not, I don't need to go back to like when I was an athlete. I don't need to do that. I see these young kids at the Ratner Center at UFC, and I'm just like, this guy almost dropped a – if you can't put the weights down securely, they're probably too heavy. So this guy was doing 100-pound dumbbells bench press, and he's a strong dude, man. He's in great shape. But he he kept dropping the weights, like, and they were bouncing, like, towards me. And I'm like, yo, like, don't break my foot with your weight. But, yeah, I'm I'm giving up – running for the winter and I'm going to see how I feel. I'm sure in the spring, like the shamrock will come around. I'll be like, I should go run. But I just didn't feel great running at the end of the season. So I'm taking a break from it. It might be a permanent break. We'll see. But shout out to you and anyone who does run. I appreciate that. Yes, that, that is coming. As far as, as far as your thoughts on me getting interviewed, uh, my, my students, that's the plan. Um, I, I had two great students, Isabel Michaels, Michael, singular, and Matthew Zafe. And they express interest in being on the pod. So at some point I'm going to record with them and, and it'll be one of the things that we did in class. Like I do an ask me anything segment in class a, a few times a quarter just so they there's stuff that they want to know. So I want to tell them. So I want to introduce those two because I think they're they're both extremely talented, and I think that that they you will be hearing from them. But I also trust them with the podcast to, you know, not take it completely off the rails. And that's something that I want to continue to try and do. I want to give people if they want to use this platform to do something long form. There are a few select people that I will allow to do that. But thank you. Um, that it's, it's in the works. This from Rob. I told you we had a lot to catch up on. Lawrence, I've been listening to the podcast since the Jason Benetti episode and just wanted to let you know that your efforts are very much appreciated. Oh, that's nice. After living in Chicagoland for my entire life, my family moved out of state to follow a job several years ago, and it's been great to hear the flavor of home through your long form interviews. It's also been fun hearing how both you and the show have developed and grown since episode one. Ain't that the truth? You probably already have years worth of guest suggestions lined up, but there's one more to add to the list. What about fellow Chicago news media guy turned podcaster, Anthony Ponce. And that's from Rob. Who's an HF grad go Vikes. Yes, you're right. Anthony. I remember when Anthony started the podcast, I actually had him on the radio show to talk about it, and I didn't know at the time if he would end up back in media, but with the new gig over at Fox 32, I don't see any reason to not have. I could come in here one morning and record with him after he's done. 
with good day. I'd love to talk with Anita Padilla over there too. All right. I hadn't put Anthony on the list, so I appreciate it. Let's see. What else? Is there any other ones? This is from Alex. He wanted to give me his Thanksgiving plans because we had talked about what do you do on Thanksgiving with the Bears game. Lawrence, thanks for another great Bears pod. My wife and I are getting up super early to drive to my mom's in Flint, Michigan, just so we can catch the Bears kickoff. Yeah, I, I thought that that was what would end up happening, that people would end up doing it that way instead of being caught in traffic. Not that the radio product is bad. I I actually really love listening to Bears games on 105.9. Sports on FM sounds amazing. It's a different ball game. So I thank you, Alex, for the, the really nice email. Thanks, everyone, for the nice emails. Oh, wait, there's one more. I'll take one more. This one from Dave. Lawrence, I just wanted to thanks, say thanks for the work you do with the podcast. I'm a Chicago native living in Charlotte, North Carolina. I grew up listening to The Score. I enjoy being able to listen to the podcast after Bears games and the way you keep me connected back to my roots since I'm not up north anymore. The interview with Jordan Cornette was very well done. I'm a Butler alum, former sports writer, editor, and was a student while his brother helped put Butler on the map. They are a great family and mean a lot to the university community. That's from Dave. You're right. I mean... That name, that Cornette name around Indianapolis is a big deal. And I'm happy that Jordan got to share his story in, in long form. And we got to talk and uh, he got to, I think, I think what he had to say was beneficial in a lot of ways. So thank you for that. And, and thank you for listening to the podcast this week. Next week, I'm, I'm not sure what's on the schedule yet. I do know that we'll have a Bears pod after the Rams game. Oh, baby. I'll try to get that to you Sunday night, or I guess technically Sunday night into Monday morning because it'll be the post-game show that I do, then the podcast I do for NBC Sports Chicago, and then I'll come over here and record it at, like, midnight. But we'll get it to you because it's a huge game. Thanks for listening this week. Shout out Herbie. Hit him up at Ecknerwall23 on Twitter. It's his last name spelled backwards. He's They spell the Lawrence thing, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E. So that's what it is. He's a weirdo, but he's a lovable one. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.